Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. My name is Dave Denniston, your host, and welcome back, my friends, to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. And welcome back to our monthly fireside chat with a physician to get to know their journey, their joys, and their struggles with finances and outside of finances. And my friends, in this show, you know, I'm really trying to dig deep and find interesting people. And as a matter of fact, our previous guest, Physician on Fire, had a guest post from OB Dr. Mom on his website that I thought was just great. The title of the post is Retired from Medicine at 37, The Finances Behind Her Decision. And so our next guest, she is the author of that post. She is newly retired at the tender age of 38, an OBGYN by training, of course. And she just recently had the honor of being added as a regular contributor to Doximity through the Doximity Fellows Program. I got to get in on that. I don't know how. But anyhow, she says that she's been retired for a few reasons. And apparently one was a health scare and the other was to spend more time with her precious three kiddos. Anyhow, I can't wait to hear about her journey and her advice for us. Please help me welcome Valerie from OB Dr. Mom. Welcome, Valerie. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm excited to be here today. Well, this is going to be fun, Valerie. You know, with this uh, podcast, we get to meet whole kinds of different physicians. And I was remarking to you before we got started that I think it's so neat to see a physician mom blogging. Uh, tell us about that experience. What has that been like for you? Well, that was completely unexpected. I had no idea I would ever become a blogger. I'll be honest with you, I really hadn't read blogs much in the past. Um, but I, as I retired recently, um, I started doing a lot of reading and writing um, and looking on the Internet more, finding out what other physicians were talking about. And I found just this great community of people that were blogging. And I, I actually got started by submitting uh, an article to uh, KevinMD.com where they do publish works by um, physicians, and it was about retiring from medicine. And I was just shocked at the response that I received from that one article that I sent in, and it was uh, shared I, probably 30,000 times by other physicians, wow. and uh, I had a lot of contact from people who were having similar sentiments about retiring and, and were just kind of, uh, I guess it struck a chord with people. And so it got me interested in seeing, well, maybe I should write some more. And, and so I did, and I started doing that. Just It's not been very long, but I've gotten a, a great response from it, and so it's been motivating me to continue to do it. That's good. Well, well before we get into some of the advice and, and uh, how you got to where you're at now, I would love to just know about, about your background. Uh, where did you grow up? What uh, was your childhood like? Sure. So um, I actually grew up in the Deep South. Um, most people are surprised when they hear that because I don't think I have a Southern accent, but um, I at one point had one, and I grew up in Louisiana, uh, pretty much, huh. I guess it was about half an hour outside of New Orleans. And so I spent most of my childhood there through about third grade through 11th grade. I did grow up in a military family, and so my father was an officer mm -hmm. in the military. We moved around quite a bit, uh, but we stayed in Louisiana for about eight years uh, and then moved to Virginia after that. Uh, at the end of my high school. And so then I stayed in Virginia for um, college and then medical school um, and then ultimately went to um, my residency at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Maryland 
and we've since stayed in Maryland. My husband's family's from Maryland, and obvious job connections were made during residency. Uh, and so we found it's a great place to live. So this is where we've kind of settled down. I think it's always just interesting how the folks that have been in the military, there's quite a few physicians, and they're used to that lifestyle moving around, right, uh, when, when you're in the military. So residency, uh, medical school, transition to practice, it, it becomes uh, – old hat <laughs> to someone that's already I think done you're it. right. I think you're right. It's that we, we kind of go through change a little bit better. I think we're used to it and moving to new places, and it's, it's, it's helpful to have that. Um, I think in your background, it makes you more adaptable to change. Uh, so I think it's a, a plus for a lot of military kids. Absolutely. And was medicine something that you always knew you wanted to be in? Uh, was your, your dad a doc or, or mom a doc, or was it something that wasn't even part of your family at all? It was not part of my family. It's surprising. Uh, we don't have a lot of people. My, well, my father was a, a, in a health field in the military, but not a physician. Um, mm. And so uh, I always, though, I've always known I wanted to be a physician from when I was a little kid. I mean, it's just always been a part of me. I actually knew I always wanted to be an OBGYN also. Uh, I'm mm. not really sure where it came from. I don't know. But it was always my path. Um, I never really strayed and, or thought I would do anything else. And I kind of went straight down the line with school and headed, you know, did the typical path that um, a lot of pre-med students do. Um, and just, I guess I, I really loved the anatomy, physiology, and especially childbirth. It just fascinated me from an early age. And, and I I kind of stayed true to that all through medical school. You go through different rotations and you try different things. And, and I did like some other rotations like radiology, neurology, and those things are totally the opposite of OBGYN. But, you know, at least I knew there were other things that interested me as well. But ultimately I knew that my place, the place for me was OBGYN. And so that uh, has kind of stayed true throughout my life. So it sounds like you didn't really question it. No, from the time no. you were five or six, you had a stethoscope around your neck and not, never I was ready to, like, to go. I mean, as strange as it sounds, it kind of that has always been my path. It you know seems like it's 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 almost like two different types of people. Those people that knew they wanted to be a doctor, uh, which often their parents are doctors, or uh, it's the complete opposite. They they had no, no clue. Right. <laughs> it's one or yeah, the other. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It is kind of that dichotomy. It's one or the other. So. <laughs> What do you think about yeah. that difference, you know, when it comes to preparing for that journey, when it comes to money and preparing for, for that journey? How would you say, when you look at those two groups, is there a difference in terms of how you think about money in one versus the other? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. I think I kind of always knew that there was going to be some debt to incur when you go to medical school. Uh, so that was always in the back of my mind. I knew it was coming. Um, you know, I wasn't a trust fund baby or anything like that. I mean, I, had to, I knew that I'd be paying my own way through medical school. I, cert I had help during undergraduate, which a lot of people, I think, do. Um, not everyone, obviously, but, I, you know, I, I had some help with undergrad. But medical school was on my own, and so I knew that that debt was coming. And so that kind of made my, uh, I guess, my, the way that I looked at it differently than some people who maybe weren't planning on it. I, I tried to live frugally um, during residency and medical school because I knew I'd be paying for that. And, and whatever loans that I did take out, you know, I'd, I'd have to be accountable for that later. Um, and so that, that was definitely a driving force in the way that I lived during that time frame. Hmm. And in terms of, tell us more about money influence on you. Was it something talked about in your household, uh, saving, debt? You know, what, what was that like as you were growing up with your folks? 
Sure. I think, I think it is, and it was talked about, um, and I think that's important for families to do. I don't know that every family does talk about money in that way. Um, you know, saving was always a priority. I uh, came from, uh, my grandfather was an immigrant from Italy, and he came uh, at age of 19 with nothing and basically mm-hmm. built himself up to um, quite a nice lifestyle. And it's a common story in America, obviously. And, and it's one of the great things about our country. And, and so I got to experience that with my family as well. But it does instill quite a, a hard work ethic, I think, uh, with families. And, and so you get to see that um, in your own family and you, you emulate that. You learn those things early on. Um, and also I had my grandfather married a very smart woman. Uh, my grandmother was very involved in, this, in um, investing early on. And, and so she... Um, was, I guess, a, a pioneer in that way. A lot of, a lot of women are not typically um, interested in finances and, um, you know, in, in pursuing knowledge about that and, and understanding that. And I had a good example of my grandmother, who was, I think, ahead of her time, and she was very involved in it. And she taught us about it as children, her grandchildren. She would, we would talk about things like that, investing, and about how important it was. And so, you know, I think those things kind of set the path from a very early age of how to, how to plan your life, and even if you don't have a lot at certain times in your life, you always have the opportunity to maybe uh, secure, a, to secure your future financially and to obtain freedom that way. So tell me more about those conversations. Was it um, with the attitude of, oh, you absolutely have to save, or was it more just telling the story of, of how they became successful? What, what were those conversations? Um, at the dinner table or one-on-one, you know, help, help take us back to what that was like. I think some of it was living by example. Uh, even once they were uh, financially comfortable, they would still live a very frugal lifestyle. Uh, and we knew that they were okay financially, but I, we would see that, you know, maybe they, because of their childhood and not having much, they continued that pattern throughout their life of li- living frugally. And so you see that, at, see that example, but also conversations, um, you know, with investing when we were children, they would, um, teach us about it, um, and we would actually give, you know, have examples. They, they may give us a little gift, uh, nothing big, but something small where we would watch investments grow, and so we would learn about it uh, that way. And so it kind of planted a seed early on, like, oh, there's this other thing about called investing that is the way to handle your money instead of just saving or, or just having a salary and, and working at it that way. Um, and so, yeah, there would be conversations and teaching points that even from a young age I remember. I think that's so good, and I think that that's something that we should all keep in mind with our own kids, right? Um, is Absolutely. That something, something that you're doing? I mentioned you have three kids. Uh, are, are you teaching, trying to teach them some of those concepts? Because obviously this is something important to you. Right, and, and I am. Um, I have three children, a nine-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And with a nine-year-old, it is starting to become a conversation, um, learning about investment opportunities. And, and it's something that they don't talk about in school, and, and maybe it's not the right place to talk about it in school. And so as a, as a parent, I think it's very helpful uh, to get this on their, on their mind early on and have a bank account for them to learn, you know, saving, investing, what it all means from a very early age. And, and so, yes, I will be doing that with my children for sure. Um, and to know that, you know, they should pursue what they want to pursue in a career, but, um, you know, to have a, a plan uh, moving forward. No, that's, that's good. Any particular lessons you think um, that you're teaching your kids in particular that you think might be helpful uh, to, the, to us that are listening? 
Um, just getting started with it with my nine-year-old. Um, you know, we had her open a bank account and then showed her the difference of, you know, do you earn a lot of interest, which, of course, right now is not a whole lot, but <laughs> in a bank account. Um, but teaching her about that and about saving and giving, and, and so a certain percentage, we're kind of pushing her to do now, whereas she would like to spend everything. She's starting to understand the benefits of saving when we did go back this most recent time to her bank account. She's like, wait a minute, I only put in such and such amount, but now it says it's this amount. How come it's more than what I put in? And so we got to have that conversation of, oh, well, your money is, you know, it's earning interest while it's in the bank, and so you're not doing anything, but it's actually turning into more money by keeping it there. Um, and so just simple things like that on the scale of where your child is, you know, a nine-year-old, what they understand. Um, they get it. They actually understand a lot more than you think they would about finances, and I think setting, you know, planting the seed early on is going to benefit them for their life uh, and so you know and she, she they watch everything they they watch what you do they watch how you spend um, they learn they learn all of that I'm starting to see that's good so you're going to medical school you're you're now in residency um, you sounded like you you did have some student debt uh, if, if you don't mind I'd like to go there how much student debt did you have coming out of residency Sure. Um, I don't mind saying it, it was about 130000 um, out of medical school. So basically it was tuition. Um, I was married in medical school. I got married during medical school, and so my husband did have um, a job. Um, and so at that time he was paying for our living expenses, so I didn't have to take out those that extra money that a lot of people do for living expenses. So mine was purely tuition. We couldn't afford to pay my tuition, um, but <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, obviously we had to take out loans. Um, and so th they add up, you know, it is 130,000, but I think that's probably a little bit less than the average for most people. I don't know the average, but I would guess it's somewhere around 200,000, but you know, I'm not sure what the average is for, for everyone nowadays, but you know, it's a six figure sum. Uh, and so it's, it's nothing to, to laugh about or sneeze at, but it's, it's, it's real money. And so, um, you know, you, you go into the workforce or you go into residency where you're not earning a lot of money and you have this huge debt that is kind of hanging over your head. And so it certainly does uh, weigh and factor into um, decisions you make about jobs and life and where you're going to go. So uh, it's, it's important. Even though 130000 sounds like uh, not too much to people in medical school, it's a, it's a lot. It's a, it's a big sum of money. So tell us more about that. So you, your husband, uh, the two of you got married right after undergrad or during medical school? When, when did that happen? Um, during medical school, so after the first year of medical school. After first year of medical school. So, um, and he was, so was he a, he was, he's not a physician himself. No. And what, so what kind of line of business is he in? He, he's in the financial industry. And so uh -huh. I think that, that did ha you know, help with just general principles. I mean, he was, he's done a couple of different things uh, throughout our marriage. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I, I alluded a little bit to it in my, um, the blog post about how we kind of can play off of each other's um, financial or our, our employment situations um, because, uh, you know, each has their own strengths and uh, weaknesses. Of, and so we tried to use the, the advantages of one job over the other 
for saving purposes and kind of how to tackle our debt and our spending. Um, whereas physician jobs are typically very secure. Uh, you know, you're, it's rare to get fired. Um, you know, if you were to ever lose your job, there's probably going to be another one out there for you. Um, there's a lot of safety and security with a physician job, whereas with some other types of jobs that are more commission-based, there's not. And, there, you know, there might be sometimes where you don't make anything and sometimes where you make a lot. And so uh, we use that to kind of um, plan how we were going to tackle our debt and our, our future savings. Hmm. So along this journey of, of being in medical school, of course, you had some debt and you started your family um, mm-hmm. as you're probably starting residency, I'm guessing, by looking at the timeline. So what, was there any mistakes uh, you made uh, along this process? Anything that you say, oh, man, I, I wish I could have done that different? Um. Not any real big mistakes. There was a time where we came close to, to making a big mistake, I think. Um, we were looking to buy a house. And so right out of residency, of course, everybody's excited because you're finally making attending money, you know, or you're finally getting a real job. Yeah. Um, and so you have the ability to, to purchase a house. And, you know, banks are going to loan you the money. They, they yeah. feel like you'll be good for it. And so we kind of were a little bit tempted to buy a house that we could afford, but we didn't really need. And so we kind of had to think about that. I was like, should we really buy this big house and be house, what we would call house poor um, or just buy what we needed and then not have that hanging over our head. And so we came very close to buying that big house, but we pulled back and said, no, let's, let's not do that. And let's, uh, let's get what we need and and then kind of reassess. And, and, you know, it was the best decision ever because uh, by doing that, we were able to pay off our debts so much faster um, and, the freedom that that has allowed is worth so much more than a big house. Uh, that is, you know, it's, we just kind of, we almost got wrapped up into that physician lifestyle of more, more, more and living like a quote physician, which really doesn't exist anymore. Um, you kind of, you just have to live within your means. And so uh, we almost got caught up in that. And luckily we made the decision not to um, and kind of uh, stick with what we needed. Do you remember in that moment, was there a particular catalyst or conversation that really changed your mind about the house? It sounds like you were looking for one, maybe have an offer on one. What, tell us more about that, those moments. Yeah, we uh, we were looking for a house. Um, like I said, I would just you know I just moved on from residency, and so there's a there's about a five fold increase in salary that can occur, um, and so that's that's a big jump. And so um, you you know at that point you can afford a house that's much bigger but you know for us it was just it was really stepping back and saying you know we really we just don't need that and we didn't want to feel like uh, feel the stress of always knowing that we would have this mortgage for years and years and years to have to pay and so uh, I think that uh, I'm very debt averse and so I really didn't want to have that debt hanging over my head and so I think that was the biggest factor is just wanting to get rid of debt as quickly as possible. In, in the, the conversations with your husband, were you looking at the budget? You know, was, was there something that, that really just kind of stuck out to you just with your money that's like outside of being just debt averse in general, any kind of number crunching that took place or was it more just the idea 
of it. I think, that, I think it was more just the idea and realizing that it was going to be putting us on a path. Well, once you buy a big house like that, then you have to furnish a big house like that. <laughs> then, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it just keeps spiraling. And then it's like, well, you're looking at schools and where your kids are living and that's uh, uh, where you're living in the school districts. And you have to think about all of those things, as all of us do, you know. Um, and we were both also believers in public school and, and we didn't really want to do a public, uh, private school route, which is, everybody's different, you know, with what they want to do. But for us, we wanted to do public school routes uh, for our children as well. And so we wanted to be in an area that had nice houses, but not, you know, extravagant, but where our kids could go to a good public school uh, was a big factor as well. Well, that would be something that, that I would point out. Um, it's something that, that I don't think it's talked about enough. And it's something that I have seen affect some people tremendously is the cost of the primary school as a private oh, absolutely. Of, of how much that takes away. When you think about it, many private schools tend to $20,000 easily uh, for elementary school or junior high or high school. I mean, that's, that is yes, a whole yearly. lot of money. And if you, have, if you have three children, that is an incredible amount of money. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was a product, both my husband and I were products of public schools. And so we do feel like there are great public schools out there and you can have a great education and get where you want to go through a public school. Um, and so, of course, we wanted to find some, and we feel Maryland has fantastic public schools. And so we really didn't see the need for us at least to have a private school experience. Um, I just, it didn't make sense to us to do that uh, if we had access to good public schools. Um, and so by doing that, we were able to save a lot of money and instead invest it or save it. Um, and so that's a, a huge part of it as well. And there's no way I could retire at 37 uh, if we were still paying for three kids to go to private school. It just, it, I would be afraid to retire. Um, so I don't think that would be happening. So that, I think it is an important thing to talk about. And that, that's part of it. Uh, that's part of the financial decision. Well, and I think that's a great segue um, to, I mentioned at the very beginning about the, that blog post you put out of retiring from medicine, and you mentioned six specific habits, which I'd love to get into a few of those. But before we, we get to that, I would love to know and understand kind of the numbers and the thoughts behind this decision of retiring from medicine. Um, do you consider yourself to be financially free at this point, Valerie, that you could retire from medicine overall? Um, tell us about that. Yes. Um, yes, I, I am and my husband. We're both financially free. If we wanted to stop, both of us stop working today, we could. Um, I, I made that decision. Yes, I wanted to stop. I needed to stop. Uh, I've kind of hit a, a, a place where I, I needed to get out uh, of OBGYN at the moment. Um, and we have been Tracking the numbers, I mean, and which I think is so important. I don't know that everybody does this, but keeping a spreadsheet of, you know, assets, liabilities, just so that you know and you're paying attention to where your money goes, where, you know, how, what kind of progress are you making on your debt. And so we've been keeping track of that, and we would revisit it every six months to one year. Okay, this is what we have. This is what we owe. And keeping track of everything, all of the accounts and um, you know, all the different saving uh, avenues for kids and for college and everything. And so we would keep track of that. And once um, we got to a certain point where we felt comfortable, um, you know, I, I realized, wow, I, I don't have to keep working. Um, 
is this worth it to me? Is it worth it to our family? Is this what I want to be doing with my life? Um, and so by kind of knowing where we were financially, um, I was able to make that decision. And, and, and you alluded a little bit to when you said, you know, I did have a health scare where I realized, wow, it really made me take a step back and say, is this really what I want to be doing right now? Is this how I want to be living my life? If I have the financial freedom to do something else or to, to retire, maybe I should do that. And so um, it, it was a lot of soul searching and thinking about it and talking to people. And, and so uh, it was not an easy decision. And I had no intention of retiring from medicine at 37. I never thought I would be doing that when I first went to medical school. Uh, but life happens. Things change. Um, and so I'm just glad that we have been having these financial principles throughout um, that allowed me to do that and to have that option um, that I felt like I really wanted to take uh, once I knew that, that we were financially free. So I, I would love to know, and, and this, this might be digging up in your pocketbook a little bit, but I think it's important to help, help us understand how this happened because you came out of residency with, $130,000 in debt, and now you're financially free um, probably less than a decade later. So help us understand this journey of that. Like how much were you having to save? Like uh, help us understand between you and your husband, were you making like a sure. million dollars a year that you were able to save no. so much? Or like <laughs> no. what, 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 what has that, that been like? Help us understand the numbers behind sure. that decision. Yeah. Really, the the number one factor that allowed us to do this is by living off of one salary. Um, and so, and basically, for people who only have one salary, then you live off fifty percent. So, I guess in one, you could say that we were saving and investing fifty percent, or one complete salary. Uh, as an OBGYN, we make a decent salary. Um, my husband's not in medicine, but I'd say it's on par with another physician's salary. So, it'd be like having two physicians, I guess, if you're just looking at for numbers and, and what those salaries could be like. Although his um, salary would be fluctuate, as I had uh, mentioned before. Like sometimes it would be very low, sometimes it could be higher. And so that was actually advantageous for us because it didn't hurt so much to not ever count on that salary because we never knew if it was going to be there or not. And so we never even factored it into our equation of our living expenses. And so we lived completely off of my salary and even under it, um, and so off of one salary. And so, um, so basically use my physician salary to for our, all of our um, you know living expenses and then there was all, oftentimes extra after that because we lived below our means that was a, a huge one as well um, by not buying that big house or you know that was our dream house and having what we needed but um, not going overboard with anything you know we're, we're both kind of people who will only buy a car if we can completely pay for it in cash we don't like to you know um, we'll ride that drive that car for 15 years or however long it will last. So not making a lot of frivolous purchases, I guess. Um, and so that helped as well. But the biggest factor was only living on one salary and using in entirety that other salary to pay off loans as fast as possible and saving and investing it as well. So it would be like maybe a third to pay off uh, loans, a third to invest, a third to save. And so we kind of would keep that uh, without spending a dime of the second salary um, until, and, and we still do that. I mean, now he's still working only because he wants to. He enjoys his job, and so why not? Um, and so, but if 
it's still even 100% goes into saving and investing. Um, and so I think that's why I think it happens quickly once we paid off our debt. It seemed very slow in the beginning, I'll be honest. But I didn't pay yeah. off my medical school loans until about five years out. So this is mm. accelerated. Once that debt was gone, it started accelerating quickly. Um, but you're right. It did take a long time in the beginning. So some people say, oh, you must have paid off your debt in a year out. Not at all. It took a while in the beginning. Um, and so it took five years of kind of working at it that way because we didn't put all of it directly into debt. We tried to put some into debt, some into investing, some into saving. And so um, and that way, yeah, I think investing is a big part of it as well. Um, and so that's kind of the path that, of how we got there. Uh, and so the biggest part, I think, is living off of one salary. And so it is a team effort. It's, just, it's going to be a different story for people who only have one salary. You're not going to be able to get there as quickly because obviously you're working with different numbers. Uh, but right. for, there are a lot of physicians who are two-income families. I see it. I mean, all of my colleagues, not all of them, but most, especially uh, my female physician colleagues, a lot of us have a husband that works. Um, and so, but most of them are using both of their salaries to pay for everything. And so um, I think that's the difference, at least in our case. That's what really made it happen for us. Well, and, and it depends, I think, uh, for myself, I'm 36, so you and I are practically the same age. And when we came out of college and uh, yourself for medical school, I mean, at that time, you could still negotiate debts uh, down. Yeah. It was very competitive, and now everything's at 6.8, so everything's compounding, and medical school costs have gone up. So uh, in the case of a two-physician household, you often have $200,000 for one, $300,000 in student loans for the other. So obviously yeah. to get rid of those is, is difficult. Uh, and I think that's something fair to point out. In your particular case, um, sounds like your husband may not have had much in school debt. And uh, yourself, he had a little. He had, he had some from undergrad. So there was a little bit from him as well that I didn't disclose. But yes, okay. you're right. It's not going to be the same numbers that some people are walking out of residency with like 700000 in debt with two physician family. Uh, that's tough. And that's going to take a little bit of time to get rid of, obviously. Um, but also, you know, trying to be lean when you can when taking out the loans in medical school, which a lot of people don't really talk about back then, is people were taking out at the maximum that they could to go on vacations during medical school and, and have a nice lifestyle. Um, yep. it's, real, it's just not necessary. But that does happen, you know. And so I think it's just having the mindset from very early on to, to keep it as low as possible because you know you're going to be paying that off for years and years and years. Well, and I think... What's, what's interesting is, is just doing back of the napkin kind of math, um, if you're each earning about $200,000 a year, that's $400,000, which of course there's taxes. So mm -hmm. depending on what you're doing there, there's, let's call that uh, $250,000 a year that's left, um, which you mentioned you had lumpy income. Some years might be higher, some years might be lower for your husband. Um, but let's just call it average of, of 250 grand. If you're living off of $100,000, that's a lot different than $50,000, right, in terms of your, your right, savings. Right. So mm -hmm. um, you could be saving $200,000 a year. You might be saving $150,000 a year. So if you do the math on that, you know, over, uh, let's say, 10 years, that would be the difference of a million and a half dollars plus growth of the difference of a million dollars plus in growth. So uh, I, I'm assuming for you to feel comfortable, you must have gotten to seven-figure um, savings uh, with, with that. I mean, how do you, I guess, think about, I mean, gosh, there's so much time left 
right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, it's a little scary. It is. When you think about how much time that there is left, um, you know, after 37, before you even get to be able to collect, you know, Social Security or, uh, you know, I do have a pension. That was something that was nice and a little bit of a cushion mm-hmm. for the future. Um, and so there's all, everybody has their own story, right, of how it, it's possible for them. And so that's part of mine as well. It's not a big pension because I was only working for seven years, but it is it's something. And so I know that, okay, once I get to 65, then I do have this pension also that I can draw on. Um, and so that's kind of unusual, though, in a medical career uh, to have a pension. But it, it's out there, and, and some, uh, a lot of people who are employed now uh, do have access to that. Uh, and, and more and more people are going to employ physici- positions now. Um, for Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is a whole other topic, but um, you know, it, it's something that I tried to use to my advantage uh, and the kind of programs they have with 401ks and pensions. And it's like, you know what, if it's here, I'm going to take advantage of it. That's part of the perk of having being an employed physician. Interesting. So would you say, I mean, did you guys look at, you know, projections to say, well, here's oh, how long our money would last, you know, yeah. your oh, husband didn't... Dave, you would not believe the spreadsheet that we had. It's a huge Excel spreadsheet. It's pages and pages long of like, okay, this is that year such and such, and we figured out every last little detail. Uh, how, what are we paying for kids' sports at this age? What are we paying right. for health care at this age? All the way up to 90. I mean, we had it all planned out. So this was not a decision that was just like, oh, I'm going to you know, step out and retire now. <laughs> we really put a lot of thought and effort into this, and it took a lot of time to make a spreadsheet like that, uh, to yeah. really think about every last detail. Uh, you do have to because there are things that we didn't even think about that started popping up and like, oh, well, we're not going to have health insurance. We both retired when we're under, you know, 40, then what happens then with health insurance? And that's a huge, I think that's going to be the, that's the biggest challenge really is that you have to be in the open market, the health exchange. And so uh, that's going to be the biggest financial burden is paying for health care. Ironically, that's going to be our biggest burden. Um, and so, yep. but you do, you think about all of those things and we don't want to ever feel, uh, you know, like we made a bad decision or, you know, regret the choice. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Everything's pretty well planned out. And, and the good thing, too, is that, you know, it, it, this, it's, just, it's freedom to do whatever I choose to do at this point. Um, and so I don't plan to go back to medicine. Um, however, you never know. You never know. The future, is, it's not written. And so, um, but at least having that, that freedom to pursue other things and to, to do what was right for myself and my family at the time, uh, that was a huge, huge part of it. And so... Um, it's just, it's, I think it was beneficial uh, that when it came down to it, to know that, to not have to worry about money was a big uh, relief. And so I, I just wish that other physicians um, would, would do that as well so that they don't feel trapped, you know, in a, in a situation where I think a lot of just seeing my friends and colleagues and some physicians that are feeling trapped in, in their situation, uh, it's not a good place to be when you have the, those huge uh, amounts of debt that are hanging over your head. Um, you may feel stuck in a certain job where you may not want to be. Um, and so it's nice to be able to, to move and, and not have to worry about that. All right. Well, let's take a pause here for a second and go to our commercial break. I'm having that special offer, my friends, where you can get every single episode of the podcast on for download for you, and maybe I'll even send it to you on a USB drive, as well as getting a bonus copy of my book, The Tax Reduction Prescription, an e-copy of it. Both of those things, hundreds of hours of material, dozens of ways to slash your taxes for only $5. Text 
less taxes, L-E-S-S, taxes to 44222. And you will get sent from there a link in your email to the checkout page to buy both of those things for $5. Well, I think that this uh, brings me to something else that I wanted to bring up, in particularly being a mom and, and a physician mom, that there's so many women that I speak with where they, they have the two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 in student debt. And as a woman, what I sense, I'm a guy, so I don't completely get it, but um, I certainly see it with, with my wife that um, it, it's, on one hand, specifically as a physician, I mean, you have been trained to do this. You spent years investing in your career and, and taking out a lot of debt to do it, and um, you have the desire to be a medicine, yet at the same time as a mom, you want to be with your kids. At least many women do. I'm sure there's some that, that just love working and, and they like that space. But that that balance of, of being a mom, how are you grappling with those thoughts? Run us through your mind. You know, what, what were you going back and forth with as you were looking at this decision of, gosh, I want to be with my kids, but gosh, I put all this time in to being a doctor. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, and everybody has their own take on it. So I definitely don't want to speak for all women by any means. Um, like you said, some, some women don't have any desire to stay at home. Some women uh, do. And so, you know, I wouldn't say I was so uh, steadfast in either direction. Um, I really enjoyed my job at the beginning. Um, even when I had my first child, I you know I was working full time and, and did the typical six-week maternity leave back to work. Everything was going okay. Uh, I had two more, and so we were kind of humming along. But I, actually, it was more so that the, the healthcare environment was changing. Uh, it was becoming much less enjoyable to be a physician, especially an OBGYN with a lot of the, um, the problems that we're facing in the medical field right now and the, the administrative overload. And it's just becoming a, not an enjoyable thing for me anymore. Um, and at the same time, I was missing this time with my kids where I wanted to be with them. So it was a little bit of both, but I wouldn't say that it was so much that I had envisioned I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Uh, that really, that wasn't it for me. Um, I absolutely love the fact that I'm able to do those things with my children now, and, and I feel that it's a luxury, and so I am very grateful for that. But, you know, I still have that pull um, to, to do, um, I guess, not necessarily medicine, but um, to have some outlet outside of the home as well for me personally. I know not everybody feels that way. So, um, you know, I hope I don't get any backlash for saying that, but that's, that's my truth. You know, I do like to um, have, have be stimulated outside of the home as well. And so I'm still kind of figuring out what that's going to mean for me in the future. Um, mm. But I absolutely love being at home with my kids now and, and, and not missing those things I used to. You know, all physician moms struggle with it at some point, I think, uh, when you're missing a lot of the things that your children are, their milestones, and you know someone else is experiencing that with them. It, of course, is a struggle. However, you know, medicine is a little bit, it's a, it's a, it's a calling for a lot of people, and so you do get um, satisfaction out of knowing that, okay, maybe I'm not there with my kid for their soccer game today. However, I was able to deliver this baby, and it was such an important day for that family. And, and so you kind of you feel okay with being able to miss that. You can explain to your children why you're not there, and then they understand it. And so I think in that way it's a little bit easier, I think, for some physician moms that they 
um, they feel like they're they're really contributing uh, to society, and and um, in, in, you know, and a lot of us have to because if you have to pay off debts and everything else, and so and for all working moms, you know, there, sometimes there's not that decision to just stop working. Um, and so I know I'm, I'm kind of rambling a little bit because there's it's such a big topic. You know, there's so many different um, things that ways that you can go with it. But at least for me, um, you know, it was a, it was kind of a combination of several things. It wasn't just I need to stop because I want to be home with my children. Um, it wasn't just that one fact. It was several factors, um, and so it do you think kind of all do you think in. do you think for you was it was it were you doing a lot of call so you you had a, a heavy call schedule was it administration that that you're having to deal with the EMRs uh, all of those things uh, what what all do you think <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I think all of it and so I think for and for OBGYN in particular um, there's there's going to be a shortage uh, there already is a little bit of a shortage for OBGYNs and it's increasing um, you know the average age of an OBGYN is is much older and they're reaching retirement age um, OBGYN is actually predominantly women coming out of resident residency now and and honestly most not most but a lot of women do cut back a little bit on their hours um, when they have children uh, and so I think that the, people aren't really ready for this shortage that's coming for OBGYN and, and I do think it's coming uh, and so we really need to prepare for that the problem is that we're already experiencing this shortage the physicians that are in the field right now are just they're getting killed uh, because it's already uh, tough to begin with. And so since there aren't enough physicians around, the, the workload is pretty high for OBGYN. Add on to that the malpractice concerns. Uh, you know, you're always worried that is this going to turn into a lawsuit, even if you do everything right, you know, in the back of your mind, somebody could still sue you. Um, and so it's just, it's a kind of, it's, it weighs on you after a while. It's a very high stress field. It's, a, it's an immensely gratifying field as well. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have changed anything. I love the field of OBGYN, but uh, it can certainly weigh on you after a while. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ups, very high ups and a lot of very low lows. Bad things happen. It's, it's very, uh, it, it really weighs on the heart of an OBGYN. You know, nobody wants to see those bad outcomes that do happen. It's, it's unfortunately, it is life. Um, and it's not always safe having a baby uh, in this day and age. And, and it's, it's always been a risk having a baby. And so it's a high risk field. It really is. Um, and so that's a stressful um, environment to be in uh, for years and years and years. And so I think that, I think that something's going to have to change either with malpractice uh, reform um, or having, um, you know, better coverage for OBGYN so they're not on call three days in a row and seeing patients in the office too. Uh, something's got to change. And I think we're kind of hitting that breaking point for a lot of people in the field. And so uh, I do think it's going to change for the better in the future. We just haven't gotten there yet. Well, and just to, to bring it back, I think the, the blessing in your situation is, is of course, uh, your family wasn't just dependent on your income, that you had your, your husband's income as well, and it sounds like he's continuing to work. So you, you have a backstop there in a sense, that income is still coming in the door, so one of you retiring wasn't uh, as big of a deal. Uh, one of the things I'm wondering about, so you, you did buy a house. Eventually, it was a smaller house you had mentioned, mm-hmm. not the, the big, beautiful house that uh, you could have gotten. Um, Tell us about the order of debt. Did you pay off your mortgage? Um, Did you pay off all of your student debts then by the time you were able to declare this freedom? Because it sounded like being debt-free was something important to you. Right. So we tackled the med school loans first and the undergraduate loans first. Um, and then after that was completed, then we started doing the, the mortgage. And so that was a big one as well. We wanted to get rid of all debt. Um, and so at that point when, you know, once the debt was 
gone. That's you know, we tackled it that way. Then we started doing more and more investing and saving uh, instead of spending. And so I think that's kind of the the order that we did it. Interesting. So a lot of people make the argument that you shouldn't pay off your mortgage debt. It's a good right. write-off. <laughs> and um, I tend to lean more on the side of of definitely by the time you retire, you want to pay off your your mortgage debt. What? Uh, how were you guys having conversations about that? What what was that like? Were you um, considering not paying off the mortgage because you say, okay, I might be able to make more money someplace else because uh, we've been in a super low interest rate environment. Right, right. How, how were you thinking of that? We did think about that, and um, for a while we entertained, you know, should we pay it off or not? And it really just came down to the mindset of being debt-free. And whatever money we could have saved or made by um, not paying it off right away, it, was, it, it just wasn't worth it uh, for the mental freedom of not having any debt. Uh, and so for us it was just more of a, of a, a mental picture of being debt-free. And so I think that was the biggest influencer. Um, and I think just having that mindset is, is what caused us to do that. Um, I have no regrets about it. I think that was the way to go for us, was just to get rid of the mortgage. Well, and I think what, what it does, from my perspective, having talked with many people over the years, is it gives you options. Um, certainly, financially, you can make a case that maybe it's not the right thing to do. Um, but frankly, the number one thing I see move on the needle, which I think your situation bears out, is just overall, what are you saving? You know, the, those kind of nuances are small things, honestly, in, in the big scheme of things. Right, the question, right. question mm-hmm. is, how much are you saving and how much are you spending? <laughs> is, right. is, is, is what I see it really boiled down to. You know, should you put money in this bucket or that bucket or that bucket or this bucket? It, it doesn't matter. The point is that you're putting money in the buckets and how much money you're putting in those buckets, at least from my perspective. It, that's exactly, it's exactly right. And I feel the same way. And I think a lot of people get bogged down. They feel like finances are too, too cumbersome. They don't, and they can't, they get a little intimidated by all the numbers and this and that saving for different things and how much should I invest in here and there. Um, and it's really, it's very simple. At least that's what I found is that it's all about how much you save and how much you spend. It really does come down to that. Um, and so I think, and, and we talked a little bit about this earlier about how um, women aren't typically in, interested in finances and they get, just from talking with my friends and, and knowing myself too, being a little intimidated of the whole thing, of, of everything surrounding finances, but it's really, it's not that complicated. Um, and, and you don't have to get into all the little nuances. As long as you have good principles that you're living by, uh, it's, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. Um, and so I think that's kind of, there's no secret formula or anything that that we did in order for us to both feel comfortable retiring at this age, my husband and I, uh, it really came down to living below our means, paying off debts, and, and, you know, living off of one salary and completely paying off debts as quickly as we could. Uh, It's really simple. It's nothing, there's no magic behind it, really. But Valerie, I have a secret formula. Everyone needs to come see me in order to grab it. (laughs) But no, I think uh, uh, obviously the two of you have done, done wonderful. I guess the other big thing that a lot of people grapple with, which, which I would like to address, is with three kiddos, how were you thinking about college expenses? This is something that I see a lot of people today that have the ability and are shelling out $50,000 a year plus to help their mm-hmm. kids go to college. So... Mm-hmm. How have the two of you thought of that? Because not only did you pay down your 
debts and pay off your debts, but was that something that you wish to do or want to do as as well? And, and how did that factor into your decision? Yes, that was factored in before I felt comfortable retiring was having a uh, undergraduate, we wanted to pay for, for that undergraduate for our children. Um, anything past that, no, we probably will not. Uh, we had expect that they would, if they want to pursue professional school, that that would be on them. Uh, but we did save uh, in um, college education plans uh, for all three of the kids, and so they're funded and, um, you know, to the best of our knowledge of what they would need. But I feel like once you get to a certain point with college, um, with some of those uh, plans, that you, it's really not that good of an idea to keep going to too high of a number. So we invested a certain amount for each, all three of them. Um, and then, you know, if we needed it, we have it in savings if we needed any additional. So was it public, private? Um, what, what kind of schools were you thinking that's just, that you guys drew in your mind? Because one of the crazy things about college expenses, I mean, it's been outpacing inflation. You know, college know. expenses have been going up by 5 6% a year, whereas inflation is half that. So what And we just don't know where that? it's going to be. I mean, this is, right. we're looking so far in advance. My, child, my youngest is just about to turn two, and so we have yeah. no idea what college is going to cost. So that that'd be about twenty five thousand dollars a year in today's dollars uh, for for undergrad, which I would call that public. Um, so that doesn't pay enough for private school um, today, at least. Uh, hard to say what's what the heck's going to happen in the future. So um, and certainly uh, they they can always go and get loans if they have to. Um, I guess right, is, right, and. And it all depends on the type of plan that you're using to invest, too. And so we kind of maxed it there, but knowing that we could get, you know, use the money elsewhere or find the money elsewhere to pay if we needed to do extra, which we probably would, like you said. I mean, who knows where it's going to be um, 15 years from now. So. Well, I think that's, that's one of those things which sounds like from talking to you, and, and please forgive me if I've captured this incorrectly, but it sounds like it's something that the two of you are very emphatic about, that it is something very important to you that you do want to pay for your kids' college uh, as much as possible. Did I capture yeah. that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if you end up having to sacrifice something else, it might be something that you're willing to do, but you've, you've certainly planned for it to do a substantial contribution um, already. So great job. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, one other thing I, I think I, as we start to wrap up this interview, Valerie, that I would love to know from you, um, you, you had another post on your website which said, um, you're tired from medicine, now what? So walk us through that, that experience. What, what were those first couple of months like and, and where are you now? Um, what, what was it like when you retired? Wow, it was like a breath of fresh air. I'll be honest. <laughs> it was great. Um, the first couple of months, it was just, you know, I hate to use the word burned out because that's used a lot now in the, med in the medical field. Uh, but, you know, because it makes it sound like it's a, a problem with the person, whereas I really feel like it's, it's a, the environment, the healthcare environment that's making a lot of physicians feel this way. Um, and so just stepping back from that, that treadmill and that just the, the toxic environment that I was in was really nice. Uh, I was able to sleep again, full night's sleep and exercise and kind of get back to doing the things that really just rejuvenated me. Um, it's been really good. I've been spending so much time with my family, um, going on the field trips with the kids and, um, you know, being a part of their everyday life, which has been great. Um, we don't stress so much about 
if I'm on call, husband's traveling, you know, figuring out all the backup child care and right. um, all of those things that have to take place, which I know you're, you're, you're well aware of as well. <laughs> uh, yes. it, can be a, it can be really tough trying to juggle um, kids in two, two careers. Um, it certainly can be done, and we did it for a long time, but uh, it's, it's been fantastic. And my, it's amazing the stress level just plummeted. It completely plummeted, and, and I've really been quite enjoying it. And the best part of it all has been the ability to explore new experiences, doing things I never thought I'd be doing, writing a blog, you know, um, well, doing writing at all, which I found to be pretty cathartic. It's, it's a good way to process thoughts and to connect with other people, and um, it's, been, it's been great. And so getting to do those things and travel, we've done quite a bit of travel. Um, it, it's, it's been a wonderful experience so far, and no regrets, no regrets yet. What's been your, your, your best highlight? Uh, sounds like you've done some traveling, uh, or is it maybe a moment with the kids that really sticks out to you or your husband? You know, what's, what's one moment you can pinpoint to and say, man, that was really, really cool? Um, I think the highlight was when we actually when we came back from a vacation. You know, usually when you, you go on vacation, you come back, you're like, oh, boy, I've got to get geared up for work. You've got to get back to the, the reality of it. I was like, you know what? Tomorrow's Monday, and I am, I'm just looking forward to it. You know, who knows what Monday is going to bring? But I remember just feeling like, wow, um, it's, it's such a different experience now to where I, I, realized, I hadn't even realized that I had gotten that way in my prior job was that I, I was starting to dread work and things. And I don't think that's ever a good place to be. Uh, and so now I'm excited for each day for Monday to come, and who knows what I'll be doing. Um, and so I think that was a really a big realization that I had made the right decision uh, and that I'm excited about whatever I'll be doing uh, on that particular day after coming back from vacation. Um, so that was a, a big turning point, I think. Well, I think that there's a few things that I'm really pulling away from this conversation with you. And I think one of them uh, was, of course, the blessing of having two incomes, but then really saving one of them. And I think that the two of you did that fantastically. I think number two was just overall uh, focusing on what you're saving and spending was, was a big one. And um, lastly, I think being able to keep track of it, I think that that the two of you combined uh, are some people that, that do a great job of keeping track and keeping tabs and having done spreadsheets and, and uh, putting things behind those decisions. So those are all habits I think many of us could uh, get better at. Any uh, reaction to that, Valerie, in terms of the time that we spent together so far today? I think that's exactly it. Um, and I don't know that I would have even realized that we had gotten to this point uh, unless we had been keeping track. Honestly, you, you, like I said before, you just get on this treadmill. You keep going, 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 and you don't take time to stop and think, okay, where are we? What's going on? Are we where we need to be to get to our goals? And so by actually tracking that, when we realized, wow, we could, we could both retire right now, that's when that decision was made. Okay, guess what? I'm going to do it. Uh, and so we wouldn't have even known that if we hadn't been keeping up with it. Hmm. Well, you have time for just a quick lightning round. Are you ready for a quick lightning round? Okay. What's a light, uh, just quick questions? Got it. <laughs> yes, that's it. Quick questions, quick answers. So, Valerie, what are the top three financial habits that you have? Saving, investing, and frugality. Okay. What is your guilty pleasure that you spend dollars on? Travel. Travel. And what's the best place that you've ever been to? Turks and Caicos. Turks and Caicos. Oh, fun. And finally, how would you define financial freedom? 
Um, having the ability to pursue whatever you want to without concern for your uh, family's well-being. That's great. And lastly, what does being a success mean to you? Um, being happy with um, what you're contributing and being a good example for your family and um, I guess just caring for other people. That's good. That's good. Well, Valerie, now um, as, as we wrap up the interview, uh, we have a lot of residents and fellows that listen to this podcast, newly attending physicians. And I'd like you to, to take, take a step back in the past. And you're talking to a younger Valerie, a Valerie that is just finishing medical school, that's just been matched to her residency. What advice would you give to her? Start saving and investing even when you're in residency, meaning take advantage of the plans that are offered uh, at your residency program. Um, start then. Start as early as you can. And, and to know that it's, you're going to need to live below your means as a resident um, and even for several years after you finish. Um, it's, people have this concept of what a physician should live like. Don't let other people's opinions kind of cast how you live your life um, and to try to stay Stay true to what you need and not what people think you need uh, in order to live a certain type of life, lifestyle. That's good. That's good. Any other closing thoughts that you think we should be aware of? Um, no, just I'd, I definitely don't want to paint a too negative a tone of the medical field in general. I mean, it's a great profession still. And so I think, you know, we're very lucky that it, you are well paid as a physician. Um, and so um, it's, it's still a wonderful uh, field to go into. And I hope most people don't want to retire at 37 like I did. That's not my goal at all. I don't want to kind of promote that. I just want people to be able to have the freedom to do what's right for them, you know, at their moment at, in their life and because things change. And, and so I think just having that freedom to, to do what you feel is the right thing for you and your family is really the goal, not necessarily to leave medicine early, but to do what, to have that freedom to do what's the right thing. That is great advice. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Valerie. And if people have more questions, how can they find you? Where can they get in contact with you? Uh, obdoctormom.com. Perfect. So go on the website. You can find her there. I think you're on Twitter, right? And a little bit of yeah, Facebook. Yeah, also on Twitter. Yep, obdoctormom on Twitter and Facebook. And But there's a contact page on obdoctormom.com. I love hearing from readers. Uh, it's the best part about blogging, I think. I've gotten to connect with a lot of uh, physicians and non-physicians um, that have shared their stories, and it's, it's great connecting with people. Beautiful. Well, my friends, that wraps it up for today. In the next podcast, I would love to tell your story. So connect with me and let's help tons of physicians. Make sure to contact me at Dave at DrFreedomPodcast.com or on my website, www.DrFreedomPodcast.com. Now, also, if you gain some value out of this podcast and you're loving what you're hearing, here's what I want you to do. Grab your friend, grab your colleague's iPhone or iPad or Android device and find the podcast link and get them subscribed to this podcast and then download your favorite ones. And if they get mad, just blame it on me. 
But if they thank you, you just take all the credit for it, all right? So uh, anyhow, thank you so much for joining me. It just means so much to have you take time out of your busy and compressed schedule to listen to this podcast. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. And remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. I am having that special offer, my friends, where you can get every single episode of the podcast on for download for you, and maybe I'll even send it to you on a USB drive, as well as getting a bonus copy of my book, The Tax Reduction Prescription, an e-copy of it. Both of those things, hundreds of hours of material, dozens of ways to slash your taxes for only $5. Text less taxes, L-E-S-S, taxes to 442 And you will get sent from there a link in your email to the checkout page to buy both of those things for $5. All right. Let me know, my friends, uh, other guests, other people you might be interested in. Would love to connect and help more and more physicians. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.